Today's reading is taken from Luke, chapter 12, verses 49 to 56. I think in the Church Bible it's on 987. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you but division. From now on there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you, guys. Um, I'd like to... Thank you, Millie. Um, I just want to start with a prayer, if that's okay. So, dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity to speak this morning. I pray that you bless us with your presence of your Holy Spirit, that you've given me the words to say and that your message is heard here this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks, Dana, for that. Um, I'm not sure how anyone else found that particular passage, but... I think the thing about the family being divided, it was a bit challenging. I mean, how can a spirit of love and compassion intentionally create division in a family? Um, This isn't the usual, be nice to each other, love thy neighbor, God's um, heaven will be given unto you. That's not the sort of thing that this is. That's what we're used to, but this is something different. Um, We're not used to just for telling our families that are going to be divided and pitted against each other. Actually, thinking about it, if you've ever seen what happens at our house when we have the junior monopoly out, that's pretty much what happens. Um, This is a challenging passage, and it's likely to strike a few chords with people. So um, it's really saying that being a Christian isn't always easy. Um, So I'm aiming to give something positive and encouraging uh, to take away from today out of this, this passage. Now, I actually think that Matthew's gospel explains the point a bit better, as he has a very similar passage in Matthew 10, verse 34. And he expands on it in verse 37. And it says this. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I take the meaning behind this to be to put God first in everything. Now, it's very easy uh, to put our love for God against our own vices when it doesn't involve our relationships on earth. Um, Our conscience will guide us and tell us not to steal, not to be nasty or hurtful to other people and not to sin, and and that sort of thing. But there's lots of other more challenging situations where our worldly relationships are affected by our relationship with God. When Em and I first met, um, she was a Christian, and I wasn't. I wasn't particularly an atheist, as I believe something had created us and is guiding us, but I'm not sure what that was. And I certainly did not want to lose my Sunday morning lions to go to church. Um, Em knew that some of her Christian principles were going to be tested, and it was going to be difficult explaining these to a non-Christian. 
But she and her family trusted in God and kept praying for my salvation. Not long after we were married, one Easter Sunday, I finally got the message and the prompting and gave my life to the Lord. Perseverance and focus on the Lord during that time, things have been very, very different for us both. There's lots of families where one parent is a Christian and the other one isn't. And uh, either choosing not to believe or having a different faith entirely. I mean, it's hard enough getting the kids to church on a Sunday morning, fighting against all the stuff at home. Uh, even, it's even worse when your partner isn't keen either. It's also difficult when you, make, when you know decisions are being made by people you know and love, but they haven't got prayer behind them. Um, you know, you would, in any situation, you'd pray before making that decision, taking that job, buying that new thing. But if your partner doesn't have faith, they've just decided to go for it. Sometimes it's a bit, bit of hard to swallow that they've just decided to do that. It's also not easy for younger children who stick to their faith when their friends are choosing to do things that aren't right. All of these are examples that can put a lot of strain on our relationships, which is, I think, what Jesus is saying in, in this passage. The thing to take away that is if you trust in him and persevere through these challenges, it'll be worth it. You might struggle to get the children to church every Sunday, but you know that people will be praying for you and your family on Sundays and throughout the week. If there's decisions to be made in your family that seem outside God's protection, you can always pray them back in with, and maybe get some people from church to do that as well. If you've resisted the temptation to do something bad, even though all your friends are doing it, and you've put your trust in God first, which is exactly what Jesus is asking us to do. This may cause friction in our relationships, which is the division Jesus is talking about. But you can't go far wrong with Jesus at the center of your life. Now, M found a really interesting article from Chris Velotta Ministries that appeared on one of those daily emails that came through. And after I said what I was speaking about, M uh, mentioned it to me. And the subject of the talk was this. It stated that Jesus was not a peacekeeper, but he was a peacemaker. Now, this is something I'd never thought about before, but this is what the article said. Peacekeepers are governed by the desire to please people and make sure that everyone around them is happy. Now, I know that I'm a peacekeeper at heart. If I'm chairing a meeting at work, uh, I try and make sure everyone gets a say and that decisions are made with a consensus and hopefully everyone agrees, but it takes a lot longer to reach that conclusion. Now, while this isn't compromising my faith, I'm often working harder at pleasing everyone rather than focusing on the important task that we're trying to achieve. Thankfully, Jesus was not a peacekeeper. He was a peacemaker. And peacemakers aren't afraid to offend people sometimes when they stand up for what they believe in. Jesus knew God's message wasn't going to be received well by everyone and that there would be resistance and persecution. But he knew that he was... That he knew what was just and needed to be done. What makes us peacekeepers is the fear of man. What will they think if I play a worship CD in the car? What will they think if I say grace before we eat, even though they're not Christians? What my friend, will my friends still hang, with me, hang out with me if I say I'm not going to go out and get drunk? It's the fear of man and what people think that makes us peacekeepers. But that's not what God teaches us. In Proverbs 9, verse 10, it's written... He lived out the truth that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What should be our driving factor is what the Lord thinks, not what man thinks. This doesn't mean we should go around upsetting everyone in the name of Jesus. It just means that when God puts something on our heart that may involve others, we should obey what he wants us to do. If God puts it on our heart that we should go and pray for someone, we should go and ask that person if they want to be prayed for, Christian or not. I mean, they might be grateful of prayer, or they may be they may have been too embarrassed to ask before now. They might feel offended that you've offered, but if God's prompted you to do that, you should act on it. 
If God gives you a word or a picture to share, don't be afraid of coming up to the front at church and sharing it. If God really has put something on your heart, then you shouldn't be fearful of what people are going to think. If God's given you something to say, then that message will mean something to someone in the congregation, even if it's just one person. But it's important to share that. M mentioned that when she's ever she shared something, even though there were lots of things in her head telling her not to share it, someone has always come up to her afterwards and said, you know, I really needed to hear that, or I was thinking the same thing. If you have something to share, speak to whoever's leading the service, and they can advise you on the best way of delivering that message. And a good example is in the notices this week, the, the, the message from Bob, the Franciscan prayer that he showed me at the start. It's brilliant. It's just something that's put on Bob's heart, and he shared it. He's gone out in faith and shared it with the church. But it's the same thing also about praying out loud. There's lots of reasons for not praying out loud, all rooted around what others think, but God really wants to hear your voice. There is such power in declaring out loud, especially to other people. In a worldly sense, if you decide to stop smoking, but don't let anyone know, there's no accountability, no one to encourage you, and no one to steer you back if you fall off the track. If you tell a few people, they can help you on that journey. They can ask how you have some accountability. When I became a Christian, I was speaking to a good friend who'd recently become a Freemason. Now, we discussed beliefs. We used to have really long chats. And after looking into Freemasonry, I realized it's based uh, on an interpretation of the Bible. But a lot of the teaching is based around earning favor through works and relying on the strength of men rather than God to achieve goals. And as a Christian, I felt prompted to point this view across, and my friend didn't talk to me for a good few years. Now, when we eventually got back in touch, he explained why he hadn't been in contact. He felt I disapproved of him, that he joined the Masons, and that I wouldn't have wanted to speak to him because I was a Christian, and he joined the Masons. Now, that wasn't the case. I just knew that when he was talking to me, God put it on my heart, I needed to tell him, this is what my truth is of what you're, you're saying. Now, I don't think he's an active member of the Masons any longer, and he's had some recent family issues. He's asked me to pray for him. So clearly, he, the message got through. He understood what I was saying about my faith. So maybe there's hope for him yet. Maybe he will come to God. And again, this is where the perseverance is in. It's not an easy path being a peacemaker. It wasn't easy for Jesus, and it's not easy for us. But we need to ensure that we put God first in everything. As long as we remain focused on his light, and keep speaking to him, then when we stand up for what we believe in, his strength is going to be with us. So, I have a final challenging question. How can we be more like Jesus, the peacemaker, and less like the peacekeeper in our own lives? Do we find that we compromise more uh, than we need to when God is calling us to behave differently with those around us? Do we pray or ask for prayer protection so that when such things occur, we know we have the strength to have the Lord with us? If God puts something on your heart this week that seems challenging, first of all, seek God and pray into the situation. But when you're making the decision of what to do, please ask yourself, is this the way of the peacemaker or the peacekeeper? Jesus told us that his way can bring division in relationships, but he also says that if you remain focused on him, he will be with you and he'll help you through it. Thank you.